You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to episode number 155 of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm chatting with someone whose path I might not have crossed had it not been for Clubhouse, which if you've not heard of it, is an audio only social media app where you can meet and chat with like-minded people in themed rooms. So Lee Akpareva came into one of my rooms on Clubhouse and has been a regular ever since. And he is always a fascinating person to talk to. He's a fashion designer, a tailor and a technology consultant. And he's also creative director of Never Fade, a fashion store and creative space on Old Compton Street in London. As well as having studied fashion design at St. Martin's, Lee also has qualifications in law project management, he's got an MBA, and he's got a qualification in blockchain. So in this interview, we chat about everything from how blockchain and technology are impacting the fashion industry and manufacturing, to why his African parents didn't encourage him to study fashion, and how he is making fashion design more accessible to everyone. So enjoy this interview with Lee Akpareva. Lee, thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Hi, hi, Kate. Thank you for having me. Um, it's amazing. Thanks for the opportunity. So um, we've met on Clubhouse, haven't we? And I, did, everyone's yeah. been saying to me, you've got to get that Lee guy on your podcast. His voice is oh amazing. My God. This is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you well, have a voice you, for you. audio. So you're the thank perfect you. podcast it. guest. <laughs> so we've been in rooms together on Clubhouse talking about fashion related conversations and sustainability but shall we track back a bit because i want to get to know a little bit more about the real lee sure how did you get into fashion in the first place tell me about your background okay i'll hit some of the key points in my life and just some of the things or what influenced me to make some of the decisions i've made so um i'm 34 and i i studied law um, at university and then um basically started working Um, for a bank called Santander. So I did that for a few years. um, But at this point, I I started to sort of, you know, I think I was hitting 25 and I started really thinking, what do I kind of want to do long term, you know, because I decided not to pursue law after, after uni. So I was just sort of, you know, doing casual work in a bank. And then I progressed onto a company called CoFunds, really sort of starting off in the corporate world at this point. I decided to become a project manager. Um, and then started doing some training. I joined a company called um, Polarisoft, which was sort of a software organization. So we essentially delivered and built software capabilities for companies like Glencore, um, Hitachi, those kind of organizations. So I worked as a PMO analyst. And then I started studying for my master's in project management. And then I joined a company called 
um, Power, which was, again, another sort of startup technology company, and then worked for Expedia. So then at this point, I started to consult. I think I'd been in my career now for maybe a couple of years as a project manager, primarily working on business transformation. But I've always been, you know, quite creative and very design focused, but at the same time, very sort of into my sort of professional educational background. And I felt like people always tried to segment me, which is quite weird because every time I sort of, you know, I got a new job and people wanted to get to know me, I always felt like I had to not really show my creative side because it would conflict or I'd get judged. It's quite a weird concept. But um, 20, maybe 2017, I decided to just sort of started to, you know, pursue fashion and just be more interested. But at this point, I had no idea where to start from. So whilst all this is happening, I'm still sort of working in the corporate sector. And I sort of just started a fashion as a hobby. I bought a couple of mannequins um, and I started really honestly oh. just, <laughs> I started playing around and just being silly and just sort of having fun. And then I did, and, and I looked on your website, actually, I told you when we first met on Clubhouse, I'd been, you know, on your website and I'd looked at it a couple of times. I really just started to develop a very strong interest in fashion and more around sort of production, catapulting my business knowledge on production and just looking at, you know, really just being interested in reading. It, it wasn't kind of anything serious at this point. And then I went back to fashion school. I went to St. Martin's to study fashion design and uh, creative direction. I bought a sewing machine, started to sort of sew. So you've got a degree in law and yes. you've got a master's degree. You've got several master's degrees, did you? Two master's, or, yes. <laughs> and then you went to fashion college. Yes. So I think that's really interesting because I actually come across quite a lot of people who are lawyers who are, are having almost like a second life where they yes. said, my dream was always to get into fashion or something creative and design. But yeah. for whatever reason, so what was your reason you ended up going down the path of that very corporate job and studying law? Was that anything to do with your background? Was that your parents' idea? I'm interested well, as to yeah, why yeah, suddenly yeah. the... <laughs> it's funny you say parents because I feel like you probably already know they influenced that decision. So, yes, they did. And I, I actually wanted to study psychology for my first degree, but um, having African parents and them being very into sort of academia and being strict, they, they sort of pitched the law degree sect or, or sort of pathway to me. And I sort of went with it. Mm. But again, as you can see, I never pursued it. As soon as uni was done, that was it for me. I, I, I honestly can't. I, I only studied it at a sort of um, at a university level. Law is quite complicated. You need to sort of progress and do your LPC or go to the bar. I didn't yeah. do any of that. So I sort of just completely forgot about it because I think for me, it, it became more of a tick box. But I think the more interesting part was, so when I, after I completed my first master's degree in project management, I was in love with the process. Um, at this point, I was sort of very just used to always working and having, I'm, I'm that sort of person that always likes to be doing something constructive. So yeah. I'll do my nine to five and then, I'll, yeah, I'd go home and, you know, rather than sort of just watching pointless TV, for me, I saw these degrees were kind of just part of my personal development and, you know, I'd get something, at the, um, something out of it at the end. Um, so I then did an MBA. So the MBA was interesting because at this point, I think I was sort of maybe 27 and I wanted to really cement my knowledge on business and how businesses operate. And I think after doing my MBA, it opened my eyes to really understanding corporations, understanding the financial system, understanding economics. And then when I started to journey into fashion, 
I had a very different outlook because I wasn't coming yeah. from a classic uni student who studied art and has never actually worked and doesn't understand how what the system of money means and why you yeah. know economy. I was kind of I say a mature student if you see what if 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 you like I'd like to use that term. But my my key thing was always being independent, and I think I decided to go to fashion school because when I looked at the fashion industry, I always felt like it was quite a. It could be quite judgmental in terms of people sort of saying, "Oh, well, you know, who are you, and what, you know, what can you do, or what can't you?" And but then that's anything like life in general. It's not just the fashion industry. So it's just people. So I, I always like to sort of, you know, learn as much as I can, so that when I when I come into the room, at least my, you know, I can add value and and my message is more informed. That as to being too subjective. Do, do you agree? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I- I think you're, I mean, I think you're being kind on the fashion industry there, saying it's all industries. The fashion, the fashion industry is particularly bad and known for being judgmental. Yeah. In the past, yeah. it has been definitely. I think things are changing. Things are changing. And I always like to focus on the positive because I think it isn't just a fashion industry. A lot of industries and systems have their sort of cultures and ways of working. And unfortunately, fashion industry is quite a popular one and seems to have a lot of lights shined in that area. But I then decided to, I was interested in shoes. I decided to learn how to make shoes with the London Sneaker School, like I said. And, you know, so for me, initially, fashion wasn't really, it was this very strong hobby. And the, the, the thing about me is I'm such a, I'm very consistent. So if I pick up any endeavor, I will see to the end. So it started to become part of my character. And I feel like my friends and people who some I knew and some I didn't know actually pushed me into this because people started to sort of, you know, I never used to call myself a designer because I thought I'm not going to disrespect all the designers who've been out there for years. I just didn't feel like I was worthy. So I used to focus on skill and not title because I feel like sometimes people get so lost in, you know, Mm. oh, look at me, I'm this and I'm this. And, you know, I wanted to really just learn the trade and then I'll let the people put me where they feel I'm best useful, if you see what I mean. At what point in your journey here did you set up your brand and your label? I would say in the last two years. I, I, it, okay, it's so difficult because there wasn't a, an actual point. I've honestly been doing this and like, and when I say doing this, so I mean, I, I create every day. Like there was a point, and, and even till now, where I'm, I'm constantly just developing, designing and meeting people. And it's hard to pinpoint the actual point where things change. But I think, I guess, to make it simple, it would be the point I was contacted by Neverfade um, to, well, the, the owner of the brand saw a couple of the, uh, my teddy bears, my leather teddy bears I'd made. And he was, <laughs> he was so yeah, in love so with them. so cool. Yeah, he he was like, oh my God, you know, he messaged me on Instagram saying, did you make these? And I was like, yeah. And he said, um, you know, why don't you pop in for a meeting? And I said, okay, cool. And he, he we're sort of talking like orders, high, very high level, just, you know, kind of having a conversation. And I was so excited. And when I got to the store in Soho, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And then rather than sort of doing the actual business that brought us there, we spent the whole day just bonding and just talking about and sharing ideas. And as soon as we felt like we're very aligned, we, we kind of just developed a relationship over a couple of weeks. And I'm now sort of there at the store as creative director. For those that don't know, never fade do you want to tell everyone all about exactly um what the store what's what's the aims of the store and what happens within the space and where it is 
Sure. So, I mean, when you look at where retail um, fashion is at the moment, I think a lot of us will, will sort of um, firmly say, you know, that sector is has changed. Um, I'm in central London most days and a lot of the stores have closed down and things are difficult. So Neverfade is still is still open. Neverfade are based in Soho. And just to sort of give you a bit of background history. So the store is owned by a guy called Terence. Um, he's based here in the UK. He's a he's an amazing guy. He's he's into everything to do with wellness. And, and sort of mental health. He's that sort of person that I like to call them, they're like angels on earth. And he, he he's really created a platform which isn't just a store because so in Never Fade, we're all about what we're about everything that we talk about. So I'll give you a couple of examples. We we work as a mini departmental store. So you have a number of like independent upcoming designers who have the collections, whether clothes, whether accessories, whether artworks, all based in the store. So it's almost like it's quite eclectic and quirky that when you when you sort of walk in, you get this real vintage kind of new um, um, historic feel because just the actual decor of the store is quite warehousey, um, quite sort of uh, vintagey, and then you have all the stands with these very small, sustainable brands owned by mostly owned by medium to well, I'll say medium, but I'll say sort of emerging brands if you like, and mm. we sort of work in that fashion. So in terms of our core business model, we kind of work more on sort of a collaborative sort of fashion, where there's obviously a sort of commercial agreement in place in terms of the clothes prices, etc., and then the clothes are based in store and then we obviously then work with these independent designers but then on top of that we're sort of you know in terms of what we stand for it's everything to do with sort of mental health it's everything to do with sort of being charitable it's everything to do with sort of really being a stepping stone for a lot of people you know since I've been in the store Mm. I've worked I've met so many designers who I've built personal relationships with who I kind of now work with on a one-to-one basis and we've developed collections we've done a lot of sort of projects oh okay yeah so sort of helping them it's almost like onboarding them and sort of then giving them the the platform to kind of grow um one of the brilliant yeah if you look at my instagram my latest collection black embrace with the an amazing designer called jean i met him in the store he literally came in we spoke and we literally bonded and then i you know, I told him, you know, what's your dream? And he said, oh, you know, you know, one of the things I want to do is have my own collection. I was like, hey, let's let's do a collab. Let's let's do a collection. We'll make and design everything. Um, we'll do the whole process ourselves and we'll have it sort of showcased in store and online. And he was so excited and we did it. And it, it's been brilliant. We've got a good number of sales and we, we've had such an amazing feedback and reception. It's crazy. So it's things like that we're looking to do. Excellent. So you you make everything for the designers you work with within yeah, the so, store yeah so well so i'm a tailor man so i met obviously i sew i make clothes shoes so anyone i'm working <laughs> another with, string to your bow basically yeah so <laughs> anyone i'm working with we we can that's the beauty of it for me i want to be involved in the back-end process so you know um you're also a designer aren't you kate uh, kate you, you uh, i am from a i am one of those um flaky fashion people that study fashion <laughs> at college but but not business i've only no uh, business. yeah so, but can, so, can, so, hence, so can you sew can you sew oh gosh yes yeah of they course. taught so us to sew 
yeah. back in the 80s. Well, so, they didn't yeah. teach us big business skills. So that's well, what you've I, got. I, exactly. And, and I, I felt like when I was coming into the industry, I felt like there was a lack of appreciation of the business side. So I'm not saying yeah. the business side didn't exist. I said, you know, more of a lack of appreciation because let's be honest, it's so not true. as fun or as glossy. It's not as fun so, and sexy, no. No, no, no. So I'm looking more at sort of everything to do with profitability. We're looking at things to do with how we can scale. And that was how I sort of started to fall more and more in love with UK production, which is how I met you. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah. yeah, because, you know, I started asking all sorts of questions like, why are things not produced here? Why are consumers not always considering spending their money here? Why do people always go abroad? Why, why, why? I couldn't get answers. So I took the bull by its horn and, you know, started to really champion and 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 make things and and grow that side of things so yeah i'm I'm happy to be here but i'll I'll let you speak i feel like i'm talking too much brilliant no it's really it's really interesting for the designers that you work with in the in the store never fade how do you choose them i mean what's the sort of criteria what do you spot in an up-and-coming designer who maybe doesn't have the business acumen that you can help them with but what's that magic secret that you spot. honestly yeah honestly for me to answer that question honestly it would be it's just it's personality and just energy um mm. i feel like the creativity well that's the first thing personality um and energy and when i say personality i mean i mean more energy as opposed to per- I, I work with anyone and i'm, I'm a people's person I, I i would like you know i like to just i like to play to people's strengths and, and just really make people feel, <clears throat> excuse me, make people feel good about themselves. And I feel like one of the things I do very well is just spot an opportunity. So if I see someone who's got a skill or has potential, I know how to have a conversation for us to inspire each other to kind of do something positive. So, you know, it's a number of things, but essentially I think they just need to be willing. Um, and if they have the skill and they're willing, um, we can we can sort of do anything. One of the, another designer I met, his name is Reese. Um, he's he's an amazing black um, artist um, based in London and Croydon, and he's so talented. Like I just I love how he's sort of he's mechanics and his approach to design. And you know one of the things for him was just resource and money. And so I said, look, we'll fund it. I'll fund it, and we'll do the design. So I'll fund it from my pocket, and we'll make and just create because I feel like. Money is another big constraint for a lot of upcoming designers, something a lot of people don't talk about, you know, getting funding. Funding is complicated. You need to be a business. You need to be an LLC, all these sort of constraints. And you don't have, you know, you you can't, I mean, you need money to buy fabric. You need to buy paint. You need to buy all these things. And how, how do you cope, especially in a pandemic where, people are shut down and people aren't working. So one of the things I'm trying to do is, um, you know, I, I speak to a lot of people on a daily. And if if I find someone who has that skill and mind and money is the only issue, we can definitely, we can accommodate that. So, yeah. Amazing. You mentioned your African parents there, obviously <coughs> pushing you towards doing a law degree. Yeah. And, you know, I, I go into quite a few universities and, and do talks and I do... Wonder. I mean, I studied fashion back in the 80s when it was more diverse back then in the sorts of people that went to fashion college than now. I look around in the audience when I'm doing these talks and it's all it's all women and they're nearly yeah. all white. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so oh, frustrating. Dear. Why are yeah. fashion colleges only attracting that sort of person? What's the reason? I'll tell you why. I've actually had this conversation and thought about this. The reason is because 
fashion is actually quite expensive to study. So I'll give an example. Mm. In Central St. Martins, both, most of the degrees are full-time, which means on the MA program for fashion design, and again, don't quote me on this, I haven't looked in the last few months um, and things might have changed off the back of COVID. However, most of the programs as I understand it, are full-time and they're quite expensive, which means you couldn't, if you were into fashion design and you were a mature student, say 28, working, and you wanted to invest in yourself, you you couldn't go there because they don't run a part-time program. Yeah, and it's expensive so, to study. Yeah, it, I didn't have to pay back. Yeah. Right. So, so that's one thing. The second thing is... <sighs> um, it, the, there's a number of things, I think. I feel like, especially, and to be very honest, in, in the African household, only until recently, most African parents wouldn't really encourage you to study fashion because they felt like they didn't quite understand the, the progression of the career path. Probably and, very true, I would say. Yeah, yeah they've yeah. probably got so, a point. Yeah, they, <laughs> and, and, and which is probably why I didn't study fashion because, yeah, you know, when I think about myself, I probably always dreamt about where I am right now but I didn't have the confidence because I used to I'm very motivated and I want to do the best I can for myself and my family and I thought hmm if I study art what am I where am I going to work and and this concept of being an entrepreneur is only really being embraced in in more recent times like I said I'm 34 so when I was 24 23 not really. Um, this is before no, the rise in, in, in the internet, before before digital and, and Instagram became a big thing. Because I remember when I first opened my Facebook account and I remember how I used to say, who's going to use this? And now look at where we are. So I feel <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like to be very honest, um, it just didn't, it wasn't popular for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Plus yeah. also, I think fashion colleges are churning out too many designers and not enough people on the manufacturing side well, when you actually go. you can earn a lot more money being on the manufacturing side than there you can you being go. on the design side. Oh, I'm so happy we're having this conversation. This is just <laughs> brilliant because these are the questions I used to ask myself. I understand supply chain. I understand production. And so I used to say, why aren't there a lot more black tailors? I used to ask myself this question in my head. And I used hmm. to say, why how about, let me let me pitch this. How about there was like 10 black tailors, as an example, on the subject of diversity, and they all got together and they, you know, made like a little mini production type of program to service like small customers. That would be great. But it just, it, it just wasn't happening. And so mm. being a, you know, being a sort of, you know, being a, being a young, a younger guy, <laughs> I, I used to always then ask my friends like, would you want to learn how to sew? And they all said no. <laughs> they all said no. <laughs> and I said, okay, cool. And then when I learned how to make shoes, it was only then a few of them started saying, oh my God, this is cool. Would you it's teach cool. me? cool, yeah, exactly. And then I was like, oh, yeah. now you want to learn. So I feel like, brilliant, to be honest. Brilliant though, that's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So I feel like, to be honest, consumers are quite lazy. Most people um, just want the end product. They're not really interested in how it's made, unfortunately. And for the longest time, it's just uh, handwork or sort of, you know, meeting a cobbler or meeting like a seam. It's just, 
it's just not been very popular only until recently. But I feel like now with the rise in where we are and where fashion is going, more designers and more people have an appreciation for production. They have to because now sustainability Definitely. has put that question in front of them every single day. You will have to ask, ask yourself, what could I do differently? So I feel like I'm happy that I'm part of that conversation. I'm happy I'm a tailor. I'm happy that I can make shoes and I'm happy just, you know, that I, I, I have that passion because I feel like that's where we need to start from. So you're obviously a, an astute businessman then. How do you see, uh, how do you see this scaling up? Because yeah. there's going to come a point where you can't personally work with every single designer that you click with that walks into Never Fade with no, the most no. amazing idea and dream no. and you turn it into reality. <laughs> no, what's the, no, what's all, the future what's plan, the plan, Lee? Okay, so the future plan. So interestingly, um, a couple of um, manufacturers have reached out to me through Clubhouse. Great. Basically saying that they, they like my energy and basically saying that they're, they're con currently considering new business models to sort of approach ah. more emerging markets. And they're interested I think I know who in... one of those might be. <laughs> well, <laughs> we won't name drop, but what, what they're saying is um, they're interested in having a... a um, a more sustainable conversation on how we can create new product and services. So what that would look like would be, I'll give you a good example. So the, some of these factories are saying like, you know, obviously with COVID and where things are, they've, there's been a lot of business loss. There's been a lot of order cancellations. Yep. Um, and so that doesn't mean we can't be innovative and think outside the box. So a good example would be an influencer who has always been in, got the knowledge or the skill. And, and let's face it, fashion is quite complicated and we all know what it means to take on the role of designer, tailor, creative director, marketer. Yeah. It's very difficult. So we will then create some sort of process or program rather where you know, for the right person, we will sort of invest in you to create your own collection um, support you with a production process made in the UK, of course, um, and excellent. Um, <laughs> and then you know, also then also almost basically help you create your own fashion brand and work on some sort of agreed business model in terms of the payments and the arrangements. So those sort of things, those are kind of conversations we're having, as an example. Oh, that's brilliant! So watch this yeah. space on that one, then. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. But I think that's what it's all about now going forward. You've mentioned collaboration quite a lot already. And it is now about people collaborating, whereas traditionally the fashion industry was about people working against each other almost. Everyone was looking over their shoulder at what everyone else was doing, but they weren't actually coming together and working together. So yeah, do you it think was things based, are changing? Yeah, things are changing. Um, initially, the industry was based up of a lot of secrets. Um, and I think... yeah. That was because of the lack of, um, well, we're now in the digital information age, so you can Google people and you can find out things quite quickly. So I think before then, we, we didn't have a choice. Now that consumers have more of a voice, the needle has shifted. And one of the things we'll start to see happen a lot is this whole word around collaboration. But the reason why that's important is because the world is moving into a more decentralized way of working so the entire mm. economy is changing whereby you've got instagram and i mean let's look at the whole rise of the whole blockchain and the whole nft i'm sure you've seen a lot of groups on clubhouse talking about nfts and I blockchain. Have. <laughs> and i'm sure i saw 
I'm sure I saw on your LinkedIn account that you have uh, you've got a qualification in blockchain as well. Did I, I do notice? indeed. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Come on. So from no, what I know okay. of blockchain, and I'm hoping you can explain this, I can from what it could be really, really good for for manufacturing and transparency. But Absolutely. tell everyone more. Okay. Where do you see it might fit in? With blockchain, so just to make it very simple, blockchain is think of it as a database. It's a it's a Uber Uber secure database. So it's a it's an information it's an architecture. So it's a it's a sort of IT frame architecture, if you like. And one of the things we can do with all these emerging technologies is use a, a combination of um, another technology called near field communication. It's something called NFC, not NFT, NFC. Mm-hmm. You can use NFC to track the entire life cycle from a development per, uh, perspective of a, a T-shirt, for example. So let's just say there's a company called Loxu Chain. Um, they use blockchain and NFC slightly differently. What they do is they use it for authentication and for verification of original goods. So if you walked into Macy's in New York and you bought a, let's say Macy's and now let's 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 go into two years and we say you know brands are now like you know some of the bigger brands are like champion like secondhand like products and stuff like that. They, they, there's then a second problem, which could be things around like, are you buying an authentic bag? Is this bag real? Is it stolen? Yeah. Where has it come from? So we can use blockchain and NFC technology to integrate a scan tag solution, which means the consumer can open an app on their phone, scan the bag, and it will show you the entire life cycle, where the bag has come from, who bought it, how long they had it for, who they sold it to, when they sold it, um, all those sorts of details, which then just sort of, I guess, gives the bag more value. And you know, at least that you're buying the real bag as opposed to a stolen product. So that's just one example. I think that's a, that's that's amazing. And that could do great things for UK manufacturing because it will mean when people are saying, uh, this bag is 100% made in the UK. We will find out through that technology. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's Fantastic. exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> So Hyatt Jeans are kind of doing that. They, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they have something called History Tag, which is sewn into their jeans, which means it tracks the history of that pair of jeans. So I suppose that's yes. a very kind of early version, isn't it? But that's a very early version, you, yeah. At what point do you think blockchain will start sort of properly being used and used widely? And who will be the first people to properly use it in the fashion and textile industry, do you think? So at the moment, we've seen what Gucci has just done. Gucci have just come out with the $12 digital sneakers. Now, honestly, I've been talking about, I I started talking about digital clothing two years ago. And I literally just, I, I could see it in my head. It made sense. When you look at what the pandemic has done, we had everyone stuck at home, but people still wanted to create content. People still wanted to feel loved. People still wanted to create engagement. So it didn't make sense to go buy a 300 pound jacket just to take a picture in your living room when you had two friends around. It didn't make sense, even after we came out of lockdown. So what would make sense and what would be more sustainable or as an option would be to purchase a digital jacket so that when you're doing your party of your little small gathering due to COVID rules in your house with your two friends, you can take a nice picture as a group with this crazy, realistic looking, very innovative jacket that will only cost you 11 bucks. It's and mad, it's just a isn't picture. it? But, my, but I've got a son who's 11 years old who's always 
gone at me about buying V bucks for this stupid Fortnite thing, so he can buy go. a digital outfit, and I'm like, there you, you go. Can- so that's where yeah. the idea came from. So, just, so the the gaming industry is bigger than the movie and I think the entertainment industry combined. So the gaming yeah. industry pioneered this concept, and gaming were the first ones to adopt blockchain and to adopt strong cloud cloud solution technologies because gaming started to pioneer collaboration with online. So you have a whole bunch of people who didn't know each other online interacting, making friends, and playing games. So. Mm organizations started to think, hold on a second, and with the whole concept of trying to be more decentralized in terms of not having information segregated at a hierarchy or or, or within a group of individuals, you then have blockchain, which is a technology that allows you to basically spread or almost spread the risk amongst a number of people. And it's also double, you know, it has a very strong security infrastructure. And then it can also support fashion by solving problems like supply chain, authenticity, or, and, and, you know, verification, anything to do with login. We've seen companies who have had issues with data breaches where um, there was like, uh, you know, customer information were hacked and stole. When some of these yeah. companies start to, like most fashion houses, so the way technology works from a kind of digital so your your website is usually sat on some sort of infrastructure whether you know usually it's a cloud solution um you can combine cloud solutions and blockchain which means it would just be super secure we won't have things like issues with login being hacked because everything requires a very strong authentication method so it's basically moving to a more safe way of working so i can't see why organization i mean as a as a as a whole organizations are adopting these technologies anyway so fashion will have to follow suit yeah Definitely, because there has been, you know, manufacturing has been fashion manufacturing, whereas other types of manufacturing have adopted technology much yeah. faster, like the car yes. industry, for instance, yes. where robots are making it. Yes. Fashion industry has not followed suit quite as quickly, has it? It's been intentional to an extent, because otherwise we need to understand fashion is in a conflict because there's a, there's a, there's a level of secrecy and and beauty um, and luxury that you kind of want to feel as a consumer. And if most of these processes are overly automated, it, it takes that away. And mm. the concept of sort of hand finishing um, versus everything being produced by robots, most people want something hand finished because it has that love and tender touch to it. So the adoption yeah. of technology within fashion has been slow, I think, more as a strategic method. But I feel like now the world has been catapulted into a digital age because of COVID. And so we we kind of all have to sort of bring our knowledge up to speed so we can really add value and play in these spaces because there's a lot of opportunity and growth. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, without COVID, I don't think, you know, the <coughs> way it's, you know, because I run a trade show up until 2019, up until COVID. And if I had two years ago, I'd said to all my exhibitors, we're going to do a virtual version of the event. They'd have they'll just been no. horrified. They would say, they'll, <laughs> they'll say no, good luck, Kate. Yeah, but it's projected them into the future now and thinking, oh, okay, maybe I don't need to travel to a show all the time. Absolutely. And we can then create uh, we can create an, an application for you on a block on a blockchain technology which will allow users to securely log in, log into some sort of network for you to like share information and contracts and things like that. And there'll be no middleman, there'll be no issues with like merchant fees. You know, all <laughs> yeah. these things will be cut yeah. out. So you kind of it's basically straight to the consumer 
um, and with no sort of fuss or complication. So there's one of the things I'm doing as a consultant is working with brands and sort of designing use cases on how we can leverage these technologies, which is why I've you know taken the time to do the certification. I'm also currently doing my last one uh, for, for, for the next couple <laughs> of weeks or months around, um, you know, being a cryptocurrency expert. And that's just really, you know, for me, it's, it's almost like these, the, the, you know, the technology, it's coming, it's coming with full force. We need to understand it so we yeah. can leverage it. You know, we keep talking about being sustainable, but how can we do that if we don't know, what to do or, or we don't have the sort of the, the skills and the knowledge. So that's kind of my focus at the moment. Wow. And you just needed another qualification in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just learning. We learn every day. It doesn't yeah. really, yeah, it's just learning. I'm the like, same. Yeah. You know, I yeah. love reading. I'm used to it. It's just, and that's why I love Clubhouse because it's like live radio, just listening to you and just listening to everyone else. Um, it's, 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 it's learning. It's amazing. You know? Mm. Uh, back to the technology thing. I one thing I think it what it is doing is making people appreciate craftsmanship even more. So Absolutely. it's cutting out that messy middle. But actually, what we've got is technology helping make, make certain things better and more secure and more transparent. Absolutely. But that actually means that when you see a video of or meet someone who's actually hand sewing something, you something that can't be done by machine you start to appreciate what the value of that really is. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like Instagram started that movement. So th this is the same idea, just in a different sort of concept. I mean, with Instagram, people were able to create their work and share it. And the medium of appreciation was likes and comments. Moving into the NFT space, the same artists can now turn their existing artwork into digital assets, um, which can then be on some sort of community space. There's so many of them at the moment, OpenSea, et cetera. And you can then not only build relationships, but anytime these artworks change ownership, you get some sort of commission or percent. Um, and also you're recognized as the original owner of each piece of work, whereas on Instagram, if you post a picture, someone can, you know, copy it, change the filters, you know, animate it and repost it as theirs. And there's the whole conversation about proof of work not being there, yeah. et cetera. So it's almost like organizing our lives for us. I feel like we should embrace it. I want to bring the conversation back round before we finish up, just back to your store, to Never Fade in the store, because the high streets are obviously post the pandemic are going to be very different. Yeah. And what you provide in that store is a whole experience. How do you think more businesses can create spaces like that to make our high street, to reinvigorate the high street? Because I'm concerned that all these stores closing down are going to turn into flats and other things that people don't really, really want, which are going to keep people off the high streets even more. So Absolutely. You're on old Compton Street, but how could that be rolled out elsewhere? And is that the plan? Yeah. So one of the things I'm looking at at the moment is where I'm working on strategies, mm -hmm. engagement strategies. No, that that was my was stupid Apple Watch talking to. Oh really? Oh, sorry. Does that. Yeah, that was <laughs> Siri. Oh really? Technology, Hi, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I'm looking at at the moment, and this is another um, project I'm working on that's quite close to my heart. It's around creating use cases on how businesses can increase their engagement model in store. Now, mm. the retail space is completely different. And I think sometimes we forget that these stores have, especially in central London, have very high rental costs. And most yeah. of them have had to keep up with the rental costs 
even whilst we've been closed without generating any sort of real revenue um, and really just primarily relying on online channel and online sales. You can't you to, to really grow your business. It would be nice to have and take an omni-channel approach where you have an online location to cater to your online sort of uh, consumers, and you also have maybe a retail space. One of the things retail businesses can do is really work with consultants like myself, maybe to to have mm-hmm. conversations on developing strategies to increase engagement within store so we're looking at like implementing um, vr solutions Um, we all know for example most retail businesses are now changing like you know policies like trying on clothes so you go into the store and you can't actually even physically try on the jacket that you intend to buy so how can we create a new experience for various customer segment types so we're looking at gen z what kind of things do they like to do um, we're looking at your sort of you know different customer groups and and having those conversations and running sort of test projects where we're looking to just make the customer stay and engage them more to you know engage them with your products and then hopefully that sort of leads to a sale because the reality is if that doesn't if that doesn't happen quite well businesses just they can't keep up with the rates and they'll be forced to shut so we're doing a lot of things i'm running a program it's called a never fade repurposed and it's really fun it's all about you know bringing in your old uh, clothes whether it's denim whether it's shoes and we have a, a, a sort of in-store design session to design and recreate something for you so those sorts of things um you know being a bit more um um, um, and just really trying to integrate art into our sort of daily lives, what we do. So, you, you know, people now kind of want to spend time with you and they want to get to know you as opposed to just buy a product and leave. I think those are some of the conversations and projects we need to start sort of seeing. Yeah, definitely. And, and building a community. It sounds like you've built an amazing community around that store. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and just really being a being a human being and just you know talking to people following people back supporting people and showing interest i think i think one of the things for me is everyone who knows me knows i'm passionate about what i do and i try to just sort of be authentic and then just connect with people and i think that works it does it always does <laughs> so yeah yeah definitely so where can people find you lee <laughs> you can find me on instagram um, my name is lee underscore um my surname akpareva so it's l-e-e underscore a-k-p-a-r-e-v-a um and you can also find me on clubhouse with the same name i believe um and you can find me in well in never fade but i'm not there most days um i'm sort of um, in and out there especially um as we're currently on lockdown but um yeah no i'm around i'm around <laughs> i'm Brilliant. here and there. oh yeah. thank you thank you you've been a wonderful guest lee amazing you need thank your you own podcast for the voice no, like yours no, as well. no 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 not at all i'm not ready <laughs> It's a you lot could of work. Do live podcasting. It is a lot of work, but you could do live podcasting from Never Fade, couldn't you? We could do, but maybe, maybe yeah. to start off, we'll probably do another podcast, Kate. Um, I, I've enjoyed this and it's been good. And I think, you know, I like the fact that I think just our story in terms of how we've met um, has been great. And, and, and just, you know, you creating a platform um, on Clubhouse for people to sort of connect has been fantastic as well. I've, I've had a number of messages from people who I met in your room. So I want to say thank you to that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with you. Brilliant. Thank cool. you, Lee. And I will get in when you are in Never Fade, when it opens again, let me know because I'm not far out of London. So I'll, I'll pop in and say hello. I will do. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there are bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British-made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.